have a message today that is outside of our normal series. We're supposed to be talking about spiritual practices and things like that. But I was taught in seminary, and you can say whether this is right or wrong. You can put up the first slide. I don't have my clicker today because there's only one slide plus the scripture. It's taught in seminary that when everybody else is thinking about something else, don't just pretend that you can preach about anything but that. And so what I hope to do this morning, my goal is to, for all of us, give us an opportunity to see how as Christians, rather than as just anyone, we can assess, respond, and think about the world today. And I was going to start with all of these headlines that I had found, okay? When I originally kind of put this together, it was Wednesday. And there, you know, there were going to be things like um, my own personal high school has closed indefinitely. Something that we always took pride in at my high school that we hadn't closed since the 1979 winter storm in Evanston. We always took this you know, huge point of pride, and it actually is for the reasons that Aubrey mentioned. I grew up in a very diverse high school, socioeconomically, racially, um, uh, you know, at different levels of education. And so we never wanted to close because there were vulnerable people in our midst. So there's two feet of snow. You know what you did? You got a shovel, okay? And they started church about, or church, we started school about 30 minutes late, okay? But you got a shovel. You dug your way out of your house. You went to school because you have to. And your teachers wouldn't even let up on the homework. They would just got to do homework anyway. And all the new Trier kids from up north, they would always have school off, okay? But we said, we never cancel, so when I found out that my school canceled for like a month, I was like, oh, this is a big deal. You know? And then I was going to put up you know, X number of people in Illinois have been infected. But by Wednesday, you know, by today, that number's tripled. So you know, I realized that headline would be pointless. And then I was going to put up something funny about like, you know, people going to the grocery store and they're like, they're like didn't know that we were actually going to sell out of toilet paper. You know? Um, but then it got less funny because, like, we didn't restock. And then we started running out of other things, you know? And so I was going to put up all these headlines, and I realized that we actually don't need that this morning. You don't need any more pandemonium and hysteria. You don't need it from me. You probably don't need it from the media. You get it. But I want, instead, to go to Scripture... And I'm going to read three scriptures. Uh, they increase in length as I go. But the three scriptures that I'm going to read, if you want to follow along in your personal Bible, which I recommend you bring. I, see, now I'm going to say all these things like, you should be bringing your Bible every week. You should have your Bible at home in front of you when I'm preaching to you through your computer screen, okay? So, um, but have your Bible ready. Uh, mark these things up. The first passage is going to come from Isaiah 41. That's the, um, the second half of Isaiah. So Isaiah is divided into two parts. The first 39 chapters, which is written by Proto-Isaiah or the first Isaiah. And then, then the, the second half of Isaiah is written about 150 years later. Um, so this is part of the second half of Isaiah. And this is the, comes from the book of Isaiah when they are in the Babylonian captivity. Okay? So after chapter 40... Um, everything, everything has hit the fan, as they say, okay? They're in bad way. They're in trouble. So the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, they're saying, repent. 
The danger is coming. It's going to be a problem. You're going to have issues. And then Isaiah 40 starts, and all of a sudden, it's a book of hope. Okay? Okay, it's already gone. It's all gone down now. It's all been rough now. Now, where's the hope in the middle of it? Where's the hope? Well, there's one person at this church who always reminds me, whenever she sees me, she says, but, but where's the hope, John? But where's the hope? Where's the hope? Isaiah 41, we're going to be dealing with just one verse in that. Uh, we could deal with more, but we'll just deal with chapter, or verse 10. Isaiah 41, 10. Second verse that our passage that I'm going to go to is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This has been the, the, the section of scripture that's been most on my mind throughout this entire uh, process. So you mark that down, Mark 35 through 41, if you're keeping track at home. And finally, Matthew 25, 31 through 40, uh, which you've probably heard many a sermon about. But I believe that it's uh, as, as applicable to this, what we're going on doing today, as it is uh, any other time. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. So I'm going to start with Isaiah 41. I'm going to run through all the scripture, okay? Um, and then I'm going to refer back to it. So I would just focus in here, listen, take, take notes if you need to. What are we talking about this morning? So let's go to Isaiah 41.10. Yeah, thank you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm going to read that again because it's a short one. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, in the midst of uh, amazing trials, God, this is the message that God gives. Let's go to the second one, Mark 4. That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. What's on the other side? He's going to go over a, a lake, okay? So leaving the crowd behind, they took, along, um, they took him along just as he was in the boat, okay? So they're in a boat. It's all the disciples and Jesus. There were also other boats with him. This is important. A furious swell came up and the waves broke over the boats so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. That's the front of the boat where, uh, like underneath, if you think about a boat, it's like underneath in a little cabin, okay? So he's kind of hiding away. He doesn't necessarily see what's going on. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Important detail, I don't know why. Um, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher or rabbi, don't you care if we drowned? He got up and rebuked the, the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and was completely calm. Then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? So let me just summarize this. A lot of times when we read scripture, it doesn't sink in. So here's Jesus. They just got done having a message. Okay, so he had just been preaching. He's already done a bunch of miracles at this point. He, he's already gone into the temple and healed the man with the withered hand. I don't know if you remember that story. They got him in big trouble. That's when they decide to kill him in the book of Mark. Is early, early on. 
So he's already done miracles. He's already uh, shown his power and his authority. And, um, and so he's, he gets up and they go, okay, we got to go in this boat across the other side because that's how they were transported. And they go through, and, and I, I'm going to say it's probably the nighttime. That's why Jesus was sleeping. So it was a little bit of a bold move. They're going to go sailing at night, but they had a pretty good feel for the weather. And so they said, you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be any uh, storms or anything, so we're going to go ahead and go. And he's going with a bunch of other boats, and they go to cross this lake. And as they're crossing the lake... What happens? A, a storm hits, a microburst of some kind, okay? Out of nowhere, storm comes, boom. And in the midst of this storm, what happens? They go panic mode, panic mode. They're losing it. Nobody thinks to wake up Jesus until after the point at which they've already decided that they're probably all going to die. And then they wake him up, just as a courtesy. Jesus, FYI, we're all going to die. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. You forgot who was with you. And so Jesus goes up to the top of the boat, and Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and he says, why were you afraid? Didn't you know I was here? Do you still have no faith? Right? Because let's go back to the Isaiah passage. What does God say? I will be with you. Disciples forgot who was with them. He says, I will, do not fear, for I am with you. So Jesus says, didn't you know I was here? Why were you so afraid of this storm? I'm going to be right there with you. And so then now we're going to go to Matthew 25, okay, and then we're going to tie all these things together in a neat little bow. Not really, because I'm not that good of a preacher. But, um, you know, next week you can say you turned into my sermon and then just go turn into one of the really good preachers. Yeah, they'll all be online too by that point. Okay, um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, just kidding, Phil's preaching next week, so you really don't have to tune in. Um, no, um, so, oh man, he'll only know this if the sermon finally records for the first time in a while. Okay, um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is again Matthew 25, 31 through 40, all the angels will be with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep on his rights and the goats on his left. And the king, that's Jesus, the son of man, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So this is Jesus again. This is Matthew 25. So uh, the first one is Isaiah 41. Okay, Old Testament, God saying, I'm going to be with you. The second one was Jesus leading by example. Okay, in the midst of a trial and a storm, uh, this is who I am. You don't have to worry, be, be worried because I'm going to be with you. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus teaching, saying, look, 
the way that you'll be judged at the end, the way that the way that the 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 the, the shepherd will divide the sheep from the goats, well, he will say, look, those of you who cared for me when I was in the form of one who was hungry or naked or thirsty or uh, 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 was a stranger, okay, or was in prison. That's a hard one for a lot of us. Okay, you visited me, you clothed me, you, you welcomed me in. All of these things, right? So, so we have Jesus kind of predicted in Isaiah. We have Jesus acting in Mark 4, and we have Jesus teaching in Mark 25. And the question for ourselves in all of these passages is really quite easy. Who are we going to listen to right now? Who are we going to listen to? And I think a lot of you would like me to say, and I'm not going to say it, a lot of you would like me to say, we got to listen to God and not listen to that media or that government or that this or that, but that's not what I'm going to say. I'm going to say we have two options. We can either listen to God or we can listen to our own anxieties. You see, there's a big difference, and I think this is the point that I'm trying to make this morning. There's a big difference. You can go to the, the standard slide now. You don't have to sit on the Matthew passage. There's a big difference between acting irresponsibly and acting, I'm sorry, acting responsibly and acting anxious, acting irresponsibly or acting brazen. You see, there's a big difference in there. And I think that that's the real difficulty for us as the church. We are called, says Scripture, to be a light on a hill. We're called to be like Jesus in the boat, a non-anxious presence in our midst. That's what he was doing. He was taking a nap, a non-anxious presence. If you've ever uh, heard that little um, monogram, that's how I always think of this story. We're called to love those who are seemingly unlovable, or those who could be dangerous to us, prisoners and strangers and those who are sick. And so this is, the, this is the fine line that Christians have to walk. How can we, in the midst of something that's terrifying to all of us, or should be, be both a non-anxious presence, be both a, 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 a person who's not going to uh, panic and hoard things and do these types of activities that we see the world doing, but also care enough that we act rationally, wisely. I want to kind of consolidate these things into one thing. We are called to be people who do not panic, who do not fear, and who love our neighbor. I think the Bible can be defined in this way, and I usually would have a slide for this, but I don't. I don't know why I don't. Um, this, is, this is, you could define it this way, because I am a person who panics. I'll just give you an example of this. My wife is sitting in the back row. She can, uh, she laughs at this. Well, she doesn't usually laugh at anything I say, so... Um, you know, maybe she won't, but um, I'm a panicky person, okay? A lot of you don't see that because I come up here and I'm like, ah, yeah, it's going to be fine, and I'm, I've already thought all this through. But if you ever were, like, traveling with me and I didn't know where my phone was or my wallet, you would see a whole different side of me, 
Okay, I get panicky. And when I get panicky, I get shouty. You know these people? Come on, you guys know these people, right? I get shouty. I'm like, where is it? Where? Where? Jess? Where is it? This is a problem. We'd find it right now. And you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. This is exactly how I act, okay? Uh, probably the best example of this ever was that I packed my wallet. No, 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 no. I lost my wallet. I never found it. I forgot about that part. I lost my wallet the day that we were moving to our new house in Orland Park, okay? So we had to go to the closing, and they were like, you need to bring an ID. And I was like, can't, don't have my wallet. So I had to crawl into the pod. You know what the pods are? You see, I've seen them, people have them hammer. It's like, a, it's like a containment center. I had to crawl in the pod, and the dressers were at the back of the pod. And everything was packed up. We had to be out of our way. I had to crawl through the pod like a strange worm animal, like this, <laughs> to the back of the pod and open the top dresser drawer and reach in and find my passport because it was my form of identification that I could use. So I crawl in the pod and I reach up and I open the drawer and I reach in and I feel a lot of underwear and I realize this is my wife's matching dresser. And so I crawl back out. And I take a different angle. And I crawl in. <laughs> yes, my dresser drawer is here. And here is my passport. We went to the closing. And everything went fine. Now if this house would close, everything would be really fine. But the entire morning, I want you to picture your pastor so that you can remember that I'm human, as if you don't. Um, sitting on the floor like this and going, I just don't know where it is. I just, not today. And the reality is, that reaction, curled up in a ball on the floor, screaming at the floor, pounding the floor, breaking my hand on something, I've done that too. That reaction was not going to lead to any positive outcome for me. Was it a problem that I lost my wallet? Yes. Was it a problem that needed to be solved because that day I needed to go to a, a closing where I needed an ID? Yes. Was there a solution to the problem? Yes. I could have either found my wallet, which was somewhere on uh, Church Street in Evanston, or I could have gone to the back of my pod like a strange worm and found my passport. But was my reaction of panic going to change anything about the outcome of the situation? No. It was just going to be a waste of time, a waste of energy, and ultimately lead to nothing positive. And I think that this, when we think about the Bible as a whole, the Bible is really all about people who should be panicking, who either do panic or don't panic. In fact, when we say that the Bible, this is a working definition, the Bible is a collection of literary genres from a diverse population of authors with many common themes. I think that that's one of the ways that you can define the Bible. Um, a collection of literary genres from a diverse population, from a, a diverse population of authors with many common themes. One of the most particularly common themes of the Old Testament, and actually the New Testament too, but specifically the Old Testament, is 
what do people do in the face of existential crisis? How do people respond to existential crisis? This is, I, I, I just mapped this out just, just in, from my memory. I didn't like go and research deeply into this. In Genesis, people face an existential crisis multiple times. Um, not only the story of Noah or the story of Adam and Eve, those things, but, but even at the end of Genesis, the story of uh, Joseph is an existential story about existential crisis. The book of Exodus is all about people who are facing erratic, um, slavery and potentially a, a potential eradication, okay? Uh, existential crisis. Book of Numbers, the book of Joshua, these are books that talk about the fear of genocide, that, the, that they are going to be genocided. And actually, the, the response of Joshua is to genocide other people. It's very, it's very difficult. The book of J- Judges, right? Fear of existential crisis. Ruth, famine. That's not even war. Fear of existential crisis. First and second Kings, Chronicles. Who are they worried about? Philistines. Why? Because Philistines want to genocide the Israelites. Fear of existential crisis. Ezra, Nehemiah, Okay, these books that have been used forever to justify xenophobia and racism. Why? Because they faced an existential crisis and their response was not always one of calm, non-anxious presence. Esther, that's the most common one you think of. Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, every minor prophet, the Gospels, Paul's entire mission. All centered around the one, one thing. Our people, all of our people, our nation will be destroyed. Nothing will be left of us. And there's this promise, though, throughout all of it that's represented best in Isaiah, where God says, yes, in the face of all of that, I will still be with you. I'll be with you. And it's that simple promise that we're called to remember in the midst of our fear and our anxiety and our panic. It does not mean, if you read the Old Testament, you will know that it does not mean that just because God is with you, everything will work out just so for you. That you will be somehow miraculously protected. People thought that all the time in the Old Testament. And God says over and over, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'll be with you in the midst of it. It's not saying that because I'm with you, it won't happen. I'll be with you in the trials. Not if I'm with you, you won't face trials. In fact, in fact the book of James says, praise the trials because you're going to notice that God was with you in the midst of them. And then, and then you have the book of Mark where Jesus is in this boat, and what is he doing? He's saying the same thing. He's saying the same existential crisis that was represented in the entire Old Testament. It's the same today. The waves are lapping up over the side of the boat. And, and the disciples, they're worried about them, but there's other boats out there. They're not the only ones who are going down. And Jesus says, no, 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 understand. I, I said I would be with you. And so he calms the storm of their anxieties. And I think, that, I think that we can take a passage like this and, and we can intellectualize it out and, and, and figure out this, but really what is the passage about? The passage is about a group of people who were terrified of the sea, who are in the midst of a crisis and the seas are lapping up over the side of the boat and even if Jesus' presence simply calmed them enough to take the right 
actions to get to shore? Or if Jesus literally goes and miraculously stops the storm, it is irrelevant. The goal of Jesus in that moment is to save lives by saying, look, the situation is as you're presenting. What you're forgetting is that your panic will do nothing to prevent it. Nothing whatsoever. And so I think, here, here's, and, and this is where I want to land this morning, and then I'm done. If we believe those two stories, how are we to live? How are we to not panic? Because I think that there is going to be what I would fear that you would take away from this is that you would say something like this, and this is why I added the Matthew passage. If God is with us, and we're called to not be anxious, and we're called not to fear, we're called not to, to weather the storms and not to panic, then why, didn't we just, why don't we just pretend like nothing's going on? See, I, many of us, myself included, could look at this issue, and we could say, the thing that people always like to say, I am not at risk. Because the truth is, I'm not. If you do the research, if you understand this and other crises like this and viral infections like this, I'm not at risk. I'm fairly healthy. I could work out more. You all know that. I'm fairly healthy. I have no underlying respiratory conditions. I have no heart conditions that I know of. I am not at risk. There's nothing to worry about, right? It'll just blow over. But when we do that, what we're doing is we're saying, in that parable of the sheep and the goats, we're saying, look, Jesus, I'm a sheep. I know I'm good, so I'm not going to worry about anybody else. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, 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 no. I didn't call you to be concerned about the, your, the threat to your life. I called you to look at the world and say, when there are vulnerable people, when there are the least of these out there, those are the people who you are supposed to protect. Those are the people who you are called to love, to cherish, to guide the prisoners. You're called to visit them. Now, maybe, maybe in this specific case, we shouldn't be visiting people who are incarcerated because if a jail got, or a prison got infected, that, that would be really bad. But you see, when, when we look at, at the other, the people, and, and this, is the, this is the real fear that I have. Understand. The great fear that I have is that the church looks at a, a novel virus like this and they go, look, 99% of us are going to be okay. So who cares about the 1%? And you know who cares about the 1%? Jesus. Jesus always spent time with the people on the margins. Jesus always enacted policies to protect the people on the margins. And so as soon as we say, look, I'm not going to panic anymore because my life, my family's life, my children's life, they're not at risk. So I'm just not going to worry. I'm just going to go about my normal life. Wish they'd bring March Madness back. That would have been entertaining. What we do is we say, my comfort 
My pleasure is more important than the least of these, than the people on the margins. And I think that that, that's that's where I want to leave us today. It's this very difficult line to walk. But it's a spiritual line. I'm not giving you medical advice. I'm not telling you what to do with your families or with your health. I'm saying that if this is what we think it is, our goal, the reason that we're canceling church is not because the people in here are at risk. Most of us aren't. Most of us are going to be just fine. But because as the church, we are always called to look at the people who might not be fine and go, our life for theirs, our comfort for theirs. And panicking isn't going to help that. But being smart, but caring for others, it will. Invite Chris up. We're going to sing one more song. So that's, that's my three words to you this morning. In the midst of fear, love. In the midst of anxiety, trust. In the midst of hysteria, don't panic. Because it's not going to help you. It's not going to do anything. And God calls you to not live in that spirit. But when you see those who are on the margins, who are the least, be willing to give up joyfully those things that are non-essential. Gathering in large places, doing this or that or the other. Because it's not about you. The church has never been about what's best for me or you. It's always been what's best for the world. And that's why Jesus, the founder of the church, the cornerstone, did not do what was best for him. did what was best for us. Amen.